St. Maximilian Kolbe, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In a, a generous example of God's merciful providence, the Gospel at the 1030 Mass was the second part of the 15th chapter of the Gospel of St. Matthew. Today, at this Mass on the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, we're reading from the seventh chapter of Mark's Gospel. The conclusion of that chapter adds a very important piece that's not mentioned in detail in Matthew 15. And there are not often will these Sundays uh, coincide such that we're reading from the exact same episode in the Gospel and where Matthew 15 trails off, um, Mark 6 picks up. They both tell very important parts of, uh, of an episode that isn't mentioned in the Gospel of St. Luke and isn't mentioned in the Gospel of St. John, which we wouldn't typically expect anyway. So the beginning for both Mark 7 and Matthew 15 is our Lord being visited by Pharisees who travel from Jerusalem to see him, talk to him. They don't realize that they're going to get scolded, but that's what happens. After that first section of Mark 7, Matthew 15, then our Lord goes away. He goes away from where the Jews are living, across into Tyre and Sidon. It's there in Tyre and Sidon that he meets the Canaanite woman whose daughter is gravely ill. She begs for our Lord to have mercy. And that's where we hear our Lord respond to his disciples who are saying, please send her away because she keeps on calling out. He tells his disciples, I have come to rescue those lost sheep of the house of Israel. Usually when we read that gospel, we assume that he's speaking to her, but look more carefully at Matthew 15 and Mark 7, and you see that our Lord is saying that to his disciples who have asked him to send her away. She still comes closer. And she says, even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of the master. She had been far enough away that the comment to the disciples might not have been heard by her. Far enough away and loud enough away that they not only hear her, but the disciples are complaining about her. And she, perhaps having heard the reply that our Lord gave the disciples, or perhaps not, she came and not only continued to cry out, but came and approached him. Approaching him not with bitterness, not with resentment, but came and approached him and did him homage. She didn't come to him and say, give me my rights, right? Give me what I'm due. Give me what you owe me. No, rather, she, she worshipped him. She begged him to help out of pity. His reply catches our attention. We probably won't find an opportunity in life to quote those words of our Lord. But he's testing her. 
He's strengthening her faith. He's not sending her away. He's not rebuking her with an insult. He's making the acknowledgement, you don't belong to my people. Do you realize what you're asking for here? He's not hoping that she goes away, right? He's not trying to discourage her. He's summoning forth from her an even deeper faith, stronger resolve. And she replies. And he says, woman, great is your faith. Sounds very similar to how our Lord praised the centurion. He recognizes faith among those who aren't of his people, who aren't in communion with him. He acknowledges it. He pulls it out. And he uses it as an example to the people who should have great faith. After that episode, then, St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, remember, because I want you to go home and remember Matthew 15 and Mark 7 and read them together. Not to oppose and contrast and to pick apart, but to to read them in, 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 in their full context. Matthew 15 then simply says that our Lord came back, he went up the hills, and people brought many sick to him, and he cured many people. What we just read, though, from the seventh chapter of St. Mark, provides us details about one of those healings. They brought to him a man who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. They besought him to lay his hand upon him. And taking him aside from the multitude privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. And looking up in heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. St. Mark typically has these words of Aramaic that the other Gospels don't include. So this word, Ephatha, we're hearing the sound that our Lord actually made as this miracle is taking place. Only St. Mark tells us this word and tells us these details of this healing. Consider how it completes the picture of how our Lord made the Canaanite woman work harder. He didn't allow the miracle to happen in a simple way, in the most convenient manner. He made her work. He made her suffer. When our Lord is healing this man, our Lord allows himself to be forced to work harder, even to groan and to sigh He's doing this miracle not in the easiest way, but in the way that's most most awkward. When we see heaven opened finally, we'll realize all that the angels and the saints and the Holy Trinity have been doing for our salvation. We, th- we think of how hard we're working. We think of how much we're suffering. And it's only a fraction of what's going on. 
Be encouraged by all the saints and all the angels that are praying for you. But above and above all else, think of how our Lord came into this fallen, wicked world to save your soul, to suffer for you so that you would not have to die for your sins. What he needs from us is a willingness, an openness, a desire, but not for something that's just simply ephemeral, here and gone. He needs us to continually desire him. He's given us the power to say no. Therefore, his power, his grace, will be effective when we open to him, and not just once, but continually. It's not enough for us to ask once or a few times for something. We have to beseech him and beg him and remain open to the workings of his grace. Think then of that word that we hear, epitho. We probably don't think much of it. There's a way that it is used in the, in the baptism ritual beautifully. But sometimes we just think of it as something that our Lord says to the, to the man or even says to his ears. But look at it more carefully again. Our Lord is looking up to heaven when he sighs and he says this word, epitha, be open. Pope Benedict beautifully pointed out that he's as much saying to heaven to be open for the power and the grace of heaven to come down on this man as he's saying to the man, be opened. Let your ears function. Our Lord commands heaven and earth. And it's especially powerful when we think of how the word ephatha doesn't only mean primarily be opened, but secondarily it also means be connected. The Canaanite woman isn't just simply receiving a gift that's going to benefit her daughter. The deaf man isn't just simply the recipient of a transaction where something good gets to be his. They're drawn into a deeper relationship with God. And so that's what our, our Lord is expecting of us. A desire for that relationship and a willingness to suffer for it. Not just to be patient and not just to be persevering, but to pick up our cross and to carry it. Think then of how our Lord is treating those who are of his number and those who are not. He wants all of them to be in perfect relationship with him so as to be in perfect relationship to God the Father. Think for a moment about how we regard those who are not baptized. Certainly we Desire for them what God wills, which is their baptism. They're having a sacramental life. They're living in communion with Christ and his church, his body. In the meantime, there's still good that we can do for them. It's not as though we just simply say to people, well, become Catholic, and then I can help you. Become Christian, and then there are things that I can do for you. And as much as we know that faith is a response to God's prompting, 
it's a gift involving our cooperation. We marvel to recognize that, that the Holy Spirit is working everywhere and in everyone. If our, if our first commandment is to love and honor God, to believe in him, to love him, to worship him, then we also need to honor and recognize and pay him homage wherever we recognize him and in everyone who manifests his presence. They might not be of our number. They might not look like us. But if I actually do worship the true God, since we worship the true God, we honor him anywhere and everywhere as our first duty. There are very few natural solutions to the problems that afflict our society, whether it be the, the terrible violence in Charlottesville or otherwise. There are very few natural solutions. I don't know if there are many. The only solution is the Christian faith, to love God above all else, to love our neighbor, to love our enemy. That's the only solution. Similarly, I don't know there are many supernatural significances to be drawn from an eclipse that will happen tomorrow. What would be significant if it didn't happen? Then we can draw supernatural conclusions from the movements of the stars and the sun and the moon. Our Lord wants us to worship him alone, to love him, to pick up our cross every day and to follow him, to live in the state of grace at all times, to be ready for death at any moment, to desire the salvation of everyone all the time, not to worry about the timing of his coming. He said specifically, yes, there will be signs in the skies and there will be wars and famines and earthquakes. He pointed out things that happen in every generation, in every place. He wants your love. He wants your faith. He's asking for your obedience. So we ask the Blessed Virgin to make us attentive to the, to the manner in which God heals us. And not to, not to allow ourselves to be burdened on, under what seems to be great a great request but primarily to be grateful for all that the Lord did and suffered for us, for our salvation and the salvation of all. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.